0: Going to read a few scriptures tonight, Philemon. Um, if you'll open that up again, this is right before Hebrews. So we're going to turn and study out of Philemon just a little bit, bring to your remembrance some things we talked about last week, and then we're going to be uh, in First Peter chapter one. <clears throat> so I want to go to those couple of places today. Something very unique happened when Jesus left the earth. He brought to us or sent to us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon the group of disciples that were in the upper room and we call this it was on Pentecost and so this is Pentecostal the coming of the Holy Spirit and he anointed these 120 people who were filled with God and they came out of the upper room and they went into the world and they turned it upside down. There was such a life of power in them. They weren't the most educated people. They they probably weren't a bunch of intellectuals or something of that nature. But God lived in them. And as God lived in them, he was able to manifest himself through them. And it was actually incredible. There was a lot of joy in their life. There was a lot of liberty in their life. This is when the church was very young. And so there wasn't enough time yet for men to put their hands all over it and form committees and deacon boards and rules and rituals and traditions. It was just brand new. And the Holy Spirit had it and he was leading it and life was coming out. People were being saved. People were being healed. Rome was being challenged. And the Holy Spirit was drawing thousands and thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And these apostles, under the power of the Holy Spirit, were able to preach the gospel. And men's hearts were convicted and they cried out, what should we do to be saved? And so they gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus and the church just began to grow. And there's a particular situation where... Peter and John were going to the temple. It was their custom and they would go to the temple and they would pray and they would go through this particular gate where there was a lame man and this was his station. He would stay there and he would beg for help and that was the custom in that day and so the people would give the man whatever types of money they could give him to help him get through the day. Well, on this particular day, and I don't know how many times Peter and John had probably passed this man, but something happened in them that day and they stopped and they looked at the man and they told him that we don't have money to give you, but I love this, but we do have something to give you. It's not that we we can't give you anything. We're going to give you something really great. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man was healed. I mean, these guys really gave him something. And so I think, you know, maybe traditionally now, we would have gotten around the man and we would have laid hands on him and we would have said, oh God, please heal him. God, please touch him. God, please give him the ability to walk again. Lord, whatever's wrong with him, please correct that. But but that's not the way the apostles prayed. Instead, they were in relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit was in them, and they gave a command of authority, not presumptuously, because they were going to deliver. These weren't words, and then they pray for this guy, rise up and walk, and nothing happens, and they go into the temple, and and the man's still crippled. But he actually walked. There was a miracle that took place. So they're not acting of their own accord. They were in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. They had something to give him. And they actually gave it to him. And in that gift to this man. He was healed. And then eventually by the preaching of the word of God. 5,000 men were saved. And believed on Jesus Christ. Because of the word that was preached to them. So my question to you tonight is this. What do you have? What do you have to give? <clears throat> How has the Holy Spirit worked through your life? You are by profession a spirit-filled believer. Now I am by no means trying to get you to compare yourself with somebody else. And then put you in some particular place that I'm very low. I'm on the bottom of the totem pole or the hierarchy, if you will. And these other people are doing these great things. That is not really what's relevant. What is relevant is how is the life of Jesus Christ coming out of you in such a way that people are able to take in or be affected by the life of Jesus Christ? God might raise somebody up and they have a a miraculous ministry and they go around and miracles happen and people are healed and people are delivered. Other people may not have a ministry like that. They might not see that kind of common occurrence in their life. But how are you a part of a body where you have testimony to those types of things happening, and, and you're a part of that? You help that. You you're a part of the life of God moving through your life, and and maybe you're the catalyst of somebody else being used in the eyes of people very greatly. And your part in that is so tremendous as well. Or the other question I would ask you is this: Do you have anything to give? Do you have anything? Do you actually have anything? Are you a professor of religion, if you will? You can talk about the gospel. You can talk about Jesus. But you're scared to confront anybody. You're terrified if anybody were to confront you. Because you just don't believe that you have what it takes to talk to somebody about salvation. Or to walk into a situation where somebody is dealing with an addiction And you're terrified by that because you feel so incompetent. And I want to deal with that tonight. And the title of this message is Stop Watching and Work the Altar. That's the title of this message. Stop Watching and Work the Altar. Because if you can't live out your Christianity in the house of God, then chances are we're not even beginning to live it out in the marketplace Or our businesses are in our schools. The altar is an extremely important event. In any person's life who walks with God. As I've said before. It is not the place in the church service. At the end of the preaching. Where we invite people who are lost to come and get saved. It is not the place at the end of the service where backsliders can come back to God. The altar is the place where men and women met with God. And so anywhere in this place can be made an altar, anywhere. And it's just a terminology, if you will, where you are meeting with God. Business is being done. There is something that is happening in your life before God. And that's why oftentimes we make it more of a location. We ask you, come down to the altar. That's very important. In the churches that I've experienced around the world, in Europe and everything, one of the things that is a key note in every church that is dead or dying is there's not an altar anymore. There is no place where people are moving out of their comfort zone to go and do business with God. And so people say, it's a private matter, I'm doing it where I'm sitting. That's good if you actually are. But if you were to observe it, as I've asked you, and you'll see people, when somebody walks down to the front and they're in a very vulnerable posture because their back is to everybody now and they think, and it's really not true, but they think everybody's watching them, you're you're really down there like, okay, i got to do business with God. I stepped out, you know, and if you were to watch people that don't, they're basically just watching. They're sitting in the service and and say, well, I'm praying, you know, I'm praying in my heart and I'm talking to the Lord and all of that. I'm praying, but... There's so much distraction. There's so many times where maybe we really aren't praying. We're just watching. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what they're going through. Oh, isn't it great? There's so many people around that person praying. Oh, there's only two people around that person praying. But we're not going to go help them. We're just observing everything that's going on in the room. When really what we need to be doing is fighting warfare for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And responding to God with particular things in our life, not that I'm coming to the altar because I have to repent or I'm coming to the altar because I've lived in a backslidden state, but I'm coming to the altar because I'm responding to God. I want to meet with God. I want to say to God, I believe in you or maybe what you preached today really spoke to my life and I want to surrender to that and I don't want any distractions around me. If you can do it in the balcony, God bless you, do it in the balcony. But it's the fact that you're doing it, right? And so when I say that, stop watching and work the altar. It is because I want us as a church to understand the significance of our lives. And the significance of our prayer life. And how important it is for us to come to this place in our life that I have something to give. And if you have something to give, then for God's sake, give it. Don't hold it in. The Bible says that you have an inheritance. It's really not yours. It's God's inheritance that he's deposited into you. And God wants what he put in you to come out of you. Alright? So in Philippians, which is one chapter, we're going to refresh ourselves with verse 6. And I love the way the King James puts this. It says that the communication of your faith may become effectual. The giving of your faith, the living of your faith may become effective, effectual. And then he goes on and he says, by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And and the beauty of this is this fact That there's a personal, listen to me, there's a personal obligation in your life as a Christian to begin to acknowledge what is in you. You have to do that. The preacher can tell you about it. The Bible study teacher can teach you about it. But it comes down to this fact, will you do it? And if you want to be a person of great faith... You want to be able to have faith to give, the communication of your faith, the giving of your faith, the demonstrating of your faith might become great, effectual, powerful, demonstrative through your life. It begins by acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ. Now we know that everything in Jesus is good. We know that in Christ nothing is impossible. We know that in Jesus there's healing. There's wisdom, there's deliverance, there's power, there's peace, there's joy. Everything good is in Jesus, right? Read the verse in verse 6. It is acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ. And if Jesus is in you, then you're acknowledging not in your person, not in your quote Christianity, Not in your ability to have memorized so many scriptures or, well, I've been in the church this far or this long, therefore I'm qualified for these things. It's not saying anything like that. It is simply saying this, does Jesus Christ live in you? And if Jesus Christ lives in you, what is in him? And if it's in him, and he's in you, then it's in you. And if you will begin acknowledging it, then you can communicate it. And if you would communicate it, it would be effectual. There would be a lot of healings, and a lot of miracles, and a lot of peace, and a lot of works of God. But sometimes, and far too often, there might be just a very small percentage of people in any church... Who are going to acknowledge that and step out in faith and believe there's something in me to give. The gifts of healing are not boxed in on the platform of a church. The gifts of healing could very possibly be inside of you. And your faith to go and believe that Christ is in me. I'm going to go pray and I'm going to give them what I've got. And then it's all on God what happens. You can't make anything happen. You're just acting in faith and believing God. The rest is on the Lord. And you begin to pray and you begin to believe God for whatever that need is that you're praying for. And you may not even be fully aware of what the need is. And so I just want to bring that to your attention. If Jesus is in you, then every good thing is in you. And you, and faith and great faith is waiting on you to acknowledge that. All of the potential of God miracles reside inside of you, waiting to be experienced by your acknowledgement of these truths. That is in any born again person and those filled with the Holy Spirit. The failure is not God to be God. But the true failure is the multitudes of believers who fail to activate their faith. Honestly, most Christians, instead of activating their faith, by acknowledging every good thing that's in them, they are deactivating their faith. Instead of acknowledging who Jesus is... And that he lives inside of them. And therefore greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Most Christians deactivate it. And they begin to agree with the devil. And they agree with their flesh. And they agree with their emotions. And they agree with what they see. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I've never seen God do anything through my life. How could God ever use somebody like me? And we're just agreeing with the devil. And so we're deactivating the faith that's in us rather than activating it by acknowledging what those good things are. Another thing is this. All that Jesus has deposited in you Is to be activated by your faith in acknowledging it to be so. You have to believe it to be so. It's not mechanical. It is not that you just go and step out and say, okay, well, I'm just going to go pray for people. You have to believe it. The belief of it moves you. Not the presumption of it, but the belief of it moves you. Acknowledging this causes these things to become operative, activated, and manifest realities through your life. I've said this before to you as a church, and so many people would speak of Smith Wigglesworth and the variety of miracles that were done through his life. And the commonality of these miracles being done through his life. And one particular occasion, somebody asked him, what is the cause Of all of these miracles happening through you. And he simply said. I just believe that whenever I am around a need. There's somebody inside of me that can meet it. He believed God could meet it. And he had the faith to believe it and do it. So he prayed for the sick. Or he cast out a devil. Or he went to somebody with an addiction and prayed over him. And God would set him free because he believed it. He actually did. He didn't just go around praying things, hoping, oh, God, please do this and please. I'm not saying that's wrong to pray that way. But when you can mature to such a way that you pray with authority because you know and you believe and you confess it as you pray it, that God is actually doing it, it is absolutely phenomenal. So let me ask you this question. And that is, what is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because today in our Pentecostal circles, coupled with charismatic circles, that is a term that we hear a lot. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what does that really mean? What, what does it really look like? What does it look like to people? And what does it look like to God? And I would probably assume that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an event that may happen in a church, it may happen in a camp meeting, it may happen in a revival setting where a number of people are crying out for the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon them and there's a great manifestation of tongues and people are happy and there is joy and there is gladness and, and people got the touch of God on their life. And we say, oh my, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit tonight. Or there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the camp meeting. It was so wonderful because so many people were filled with the Holy Spirit. But is that really the intention of heaven? Would heaven say that is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Or would heaven have a different definition of that? And perhaps heaven's definition would ask the question to those of you who would claim to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe heaven would ask the question, what are you doing with it? Did God just come into a service or a revival or a camp meeting to touch you with the Holy Spirit so you can speak in tongues and be happy? Or did God give you the Holy Spirit in an abundance so that God could move through your life and touch others? And so the intention of God is that God pours out His Holy Spirit upon us so out of the abundance of that My life is affecting other people. It's not just the fact, oh, I got touched, I got blessed, I got happy, I spoke in tongues. But nothing ever happened with my Christianity outside of that. And that is why Pentecostalism or or, or these movements like that lack power and lack lack vitality because it's so self-absorbed. God wants to do things to bless people. God wants to do things to glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for that purpose. That yes, I got touched. Yes, I got blessed. Yes, I got happy. Yes, I spoke in tongues and all of these things that come with it. But look what God's doing through my life now. I believe that he who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. And God is touching people's lives through me. And I don't want this to stop. I want to keep going with God. And, and those people are rare. I mean, they're so rare. But would to God, like Moses said, all of Israel were prophets. And would to God that all of the people filled with the Holy Ghost to overflowing. Were the ministers and the servants and the preachers and the missionaries of God in the world today. Making the name of Jesus Christ great and glorified in the earth. So Jesus said this to the people. In John chapter 7 in that great day of the feast. When all of the people were gathered around Jesus. and, and, And there was the ceremony of water. And Jesus said this. All you are thirsty come to me and drink. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus is telling the multitudes, you come to me. If you're thirsty, you come to me and drink. But then he immediately changed it. He didn't say out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water for you to drink. He said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water to drink. And that is the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. That is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The intention of Jesus Christ is to fill you so fully that out of your belly flows his water. And that water is there for people to drink and have life. And that is one of the most wonderful things you will ever experience in your life. So it's not about the magnitude of miracles that are happening through me. It's not the fact that I can come to the church on a monthly basis and say, I had five people raised from the dead. 32 people were delivered from demons. And there were 14 drug addictions that were absolutely set free to the glory of God. Now, people have that testimony. Hallelujah. But it's not necessarily that. It is the fact many people drank from me this month. And I don't even know the numbers of that. But lives were touched by Christ in me. And that is the glory of God. And you allowed that to happen because you believed in that. And so I tell you that because I want to tell you this. How does the outflowing occur? How does it happen? It happens in many ways. But one of the things I want to bring to your attention is, is what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now, here's Paul, and he's testifying about his life, and he's talking about the difficulties of his life. As a matter of fact, he starts the chapter by saying that because we receive mercy from God, we don't give up. So there are many things in Paul's life that made him want to give up. It was difficult. It was hard. It was painful. As a matter of fact, he says himself... That there, are, there were numbers of times that he was pressed in. He was, the, the, the world and the devil was trying to crush him. And that's a difficult time. And then he said, there were times in my life I was confused. I didn't know what to do. And there were other times in my life when the enemy literally knocked me down. But in none of those occasions was I out. Because the Lord was my strength. And then Paul began to realize it. That our life in God is lived in such a way that God is breaking us. So that the life that is in us can come out. So if the water that is in me is to overflow or come out. And if people are going to drink this water, it is through crushing It is through confusion sometimes. It is sometimes when the enemy comes and knocks you flat on your back. And I want to submit to you tonight for you to understand this that some of the most valuable people in the meeting are the ones that feel like they have nothing to give. You feel like you're in the jaws of the enemy. You feel like you're being broken. You feel like you're being crushed. You don't know what to do. You don't know what God's doing in your life. There's a time of confusion in your life. It feels like I've just been handed over to the enemy. Why? So the life that is in you can come out. And sometimes, if not a lot of times, those very people are the most despondent. Because of what they're going through. When they should be the most active. Because in that brokenness is the flowing of the life of Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity to touch people. And to touch people's lives. And I believe this is so important. Because the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. And you're the kingdom of heaven on earth. And you suffer violence. You do. And there needs to be an aggressiveness, an aggressive response to that. And we need to fight for one another. So I want to read this in First Peter chapter 1. And I just pray that this will resonate with you. I pray that you will just let it really speak to your heart. In First Peter 1. And I want to get to this part of stop watching and work the altar. In First Peter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which according to his abundant mercy. Has begotten us again. Unto a lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope. And also to an inheritance incorruptible. And undefiled in that fades not away, it's reserved, it's waiting for you in heaven. And verse 5 is precious, speaks of these very people who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Would you keep your place right there and go to Ephesians, if if you will, Ephesians chapter 6, And I want you to see this. We're kept by the power of God. There are several places I could read in Ephesians chapter 6, but we know the power of God is the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But in Ephesians 6 verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. So here in Ephesians 6, we're being admonished to stand in the power of his might. Right? That's all of us. And he talks about it in regards to put on the armor of God and understand we wrestle. So I want you to go back to 1 Peter. And I want you to see this. In verse 5. We are kept by the power of God. Through faith. Unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen. My hope. From getting here to heaven. Is Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. In his grace. That is my hope. And I believe if there was just one person on this planet that was a true born-again Christian, and everybody else was lost and demon-filled, I believe Jesus Christ, through his grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, could get that one individual through this world of hell and a wilderness of demons and get them to heaven. I believe Jesus can do that, all right? So I don't want to take anything away from that hope and that assurance that we have. But when it says we're kept by the power of God, I cannot underestimate Ephesians chapter 6 when we as the body of Christ are exhorted to stand in the power of his might. I have an ability to stand in the power of God's might. That's a spirit filled life. I can put on the armor of God. I can do battle with hell in the power of God. Now, if I have the ability to stand in the power of his might and be filled with the Holy Spirit, then that must mean somehow I can help you. And if we are kept by the power of God and the power of God is something that I can stand in, then that must mean there's some way I can help you. And if I don't stand in the power of his might, which is a possibility, and if I don't put on the whole armor of God, which is a possibility, then I could be a weak link in that. And maybe that particular event. So I don't want you to think, well, I'm broken and I'm hurting and I'm going through all these battles. And I feel like I'm in the jaws of the enemy. And I just feel like I've been abandoned. God's just handed me over to the enemy. Listen, that could be one of the most amazing moments of ministry in your life. As the life of Jesus is coming out. It doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you need grace like you've never needed it before. And in that moment, your weakness is turned into power. That's what Paul said. So come back to First Peter and let's read this. So verse 5. We're kept by the power of God through faith to salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I just want you to think about that. You're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Christians can be in heaviness. Christians kept by the power of God can be in heaviness. And some naive Christians just come across these other Christians that are struggling with heaviness and manifold temptations and just say, Get over it. And they want to, if I could, I would. But I'm in a fight. And there is a real fight. And sometimes Christians are engaged in a real battle and they are trying to say, I am hurting here. This is heavy. This is manifold. It is not one thing. It is a variety of things all hitting me at the same time. And what do they need? They need your help. They need you to stop watching. And they need you to work the altar. They need somebody to put on God's armor and stand in the power of his might and come do some fighting for me. Right, Russell? Russell's going to testify Sunday night of a miracle God did for him. Basically overnight. Why? Because he put out a text to the men on GroupMe. And he shared a burden and a weakness in his life and a desire for prayer. And men prayed and men reached out. And I'll just leave it there. And God did a miracle. Because he was fighting a fight with manifold temptations. And he needed help. And the body of Christ helped him. Praise God. Some Christians just want to be so private, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody my problems. Well, that's, that's on you. But you can receive help from the body of Christ. It says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. If, you, if you're praying and you're working the altar... And you're not sure what to pray for people. Open up 1 Peter 1.7. Memorize it. Open it up. And that's what you can pray over people. God I just pray this present trial that they're in. God would make their faith pure. Pure than gold. Father I pray that they will be found to your praise. And to your honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You just begin to pray those things for people. Isn't that good? And that's what everybody needs at the end of the day. Because whatever it is you're going through, it's your faith that's being put to the test. And that's what needs to endure. Because that's the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so I remind you of this in Ephesians 6.12 that we just read. But I'm going to read it from a different version. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers of this darkness. Against evil forces in the heavens. And so the thing is. We wrestle. And who in here does. And so I said to you last Wednesday night. In regards to beginning this little series that I'm doing. I pray to God I will never have to remind you of this. I pray to God I would never have to compel you guys to work the altar. Because what are the fundamental things that happen with people that work the altar? They are people of faith. They are people of love and they're people of warfare. That's the people who work the altar. I cannot sit in my pew and watch people battling hell and sit there and do nothing. I'm going to get engaged and I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to believe for them and I'm going to fight hell away from their life because I love them. And because I have faith that God lives in me. And I have something to give. And I'm going to give it. And so we're not spectators. And I think it's a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit wants to anoint every one of us. And that the Holy Spirit wants to put gifts in all of our life. So that those gifts can work through our life and bless other people. And help people in the body of Christ become stronger and more effective in their walk with God. And so I just simply say... We have to start, I would say for all of us, but for maybe many of us here, just to even get started, we need to faith differently. If you're the kind of person that sits around and says, my life's boring, I'm not, it's not exciting, well then do something in faith differently. I'm not, don't just do something different, but do something in faith differently. Nothing's going to change if you just sit there and do nothing. You go to church, you get out of your car, you walk in, you walk to your seat, you sit in your seat. I'm glued here. This is safe. This is comfortable. I don't think I'll be embarrassed right here. Everything's good. Well, that's the life you're always going to live. But if you want to see an exciting Christian life and you want to see the power of God work through you and you want to have great faith and you want to see the miracles of God, begin to faith differently. Don't just come into the room and look for a seat, look for a need. Notice people, look around, walk around. I mean, we're not coming to a classroom. That's what you do when you go to school. You go to school, you walk into the classroom, and you find your seat, and you pull out your books, and you get ready for the lesson. This is not a classroom. This is a family we're coming into God's living room. It should be joyful and happy and full of life. And we love each other and we know each other. And it's just like, you know, I'm walking in and I hope nobody talks to me because I've had a really bad day and all of this stuff. And I just need to be refreshed. All right. If that's where you are, I've really had a bad day and I need to be refreshed. Then let the body understand that and let them minister to you. Because sometimes you need to go to dad's house and you need to sit in the recliner and kick back and just say, I just need to rest. Then rest. Rest in the house of God. But be a part of the family. Be a part of the people that love each other. Let the house of God be full of life. Let it be full of excitement. Let it be full of expectation. Let it be full of joy. Because we're all the children. We're all participants. We can stand in the power of His might. We can push back hell against people's lives. Against people's marriages. Against people's health. God is in you to do it. And if somebody would just believe that. And demonstrate that. Oh my God. The, the, the floodwaters of the Holy Spirit. That would just begin to pour out. Walk around. Walk around. Care for one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Go up to somebody you don't know very well. And say tell me a little bit about yourself. How was your day? How was your week? And don't give the Christian lie. Oh it's great. Maybe it wasn't great. They'll give the real answer and say, it wasn't a good week. It wasn't a good day. It was a terrible day. I've had a rotten day. I don't, I'm not doing good. My faith is just wavering right now. I'm glad you told me that. I have an announcement to make. So-and-so's had a bad day and their faith is wavering. Should we excommunicate them? <laughs> I mean, really, is that what we're going to do? Are, are we gonna come around you and love you and pray for you and intercede that your faith fail not and we can fight for you and we fight for one another. This is exciting. It really is because hallelujah, you know, we're, we're not, we're not fighting battles hoping to win. They're, they're won. They're already won. Thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. They're already won. Everything we engage ourselves in is already won. And so maybe you're saying, man, I I want to have that freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And if you don't have freedom, you need a visitation of the Holy Ghost. You, You need a freedom in the Lord and a liberty in the Lord that breaks down the walls of religion The walls of abuse, the walls of hurt, the walls of shame, the walls of limitation in your life. The Holy Spirit will come and kick all of those walls down and give you freedom and give you liberty. You know, now don't presume upon God. Don't presume upon his people and go say, thus saith the Lord and and practice something or try something. When the Holy Spirit tells you to say something, it's right. It's not a practice. It's right. You go pray for people. And you believe God for people. If you're not sure, just go and pray with them and just affirm your love for them. Just go up there and pray and just say, I just I'm just here to pray with you. I just want you to know that the Lord loves you and I love you. And I'm just praying for you. And, and, and this is as, it's as gentle as that sometimes. But maybe God will give you a word of wisdom. Maybe God will give you a word of knowledge. And you're just going to go and say, I believe God's telling me to tell you this. And you tell him that. Say, oh my God, that is what I needed to hear. That was the, that was the very answer. Because it's in you, right? I mean, we, we some of you got to go to work tomorrow and you've got to give an answer for something. you got to make a decision and you're praying, oh God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I've got to make a decision by Friday. I don't know what to do. And you come into the house of God and the Holy Spirit lives in all of these people and gifts are in all of these people. But if we don't activate that life and that faith, then the very rescue of God that he would have given somebody may not come to them, not because it can't come in a different way, but it may. May not come to them because I held it in. I did not participate. And I just want to help people. I want to build up the body of Christ. I want to fight for people. It's exciting to do that. And so maybe you're the kind of person who say. I just don't really know what to pray. I'm scared to go pray with people in an altar. You don't have to invade them. You don't have to intrude and get up in their face and. You know, breathe your breath up through their nose and all of this stuff and hold their face. And ah, You don't have to do all that. I don't want nobody doing that to me. I don't have to come grab my face. You know, you don't have to do that. Pinch my cheek, shake my mouth, all this stuff. You can just stand. You don't even have to touch me. You can just stand there. You can stand behind me and you can just Pray. And if the Holy Spirit gives you access into their life in a deeper way, you take it. But you don't need to do that. You don't need to intrude into people's lives. You don't need You don't need to be intrusive. You just need to be aggressive against hell. And so you come and you pray and you plead the blood of Jesus over people. Maybe the Holy Spirit gives you entrance into their life. Maybe they turn around and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? Maybe the Holy Spirit gives you just a little boldness and you say, is there is there something I can pray with you for? Something I can pray with you about. Maybe he tells you to just say that. And that's so gentle, isn't it? That's not offensive. And and maybe the person would say, it's just unspoken. Praise God. Well, let's just pray. I'm going to just pray with you. I love you. And that's all it is. It's, it's, It's not manipulation. It's not witchcraft. It's not force. It's just... It's just I'm trusting God to do something through my life. And he's not going to do it at a distance while I sit in my pew. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to work the altar. And I'm going to fight for my friends and my family and my loved ones. And I'm going to fight hell because I've got the power of God. And I don't wrestle hoping to win. I have won. And I'm going to believe this for people. And so, so sometimes you go up and, you work, and you're praying for people. That's the beauty of tongues. Because sometimes you don't know how to pray, pray in the spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost, just pray in your tongues, you know just go and believe God and, and just pray in the tongues. Sometimes oftentimes I know for me when I pray in my tongues, God begins to show me things and I just as, and as I'm praying, he just gives me revelation of things and the Bible says when you pray in your tongues, your inner man is edified. He's built up and strengthened. So I I pray in my tongues all the time. And I'll just go and pray with people like that. Maybe you'll pray about what the message was. Chances are if they're responding after a message. It could be something to do with the message. So you could just go pray something about the message over their life. Right? That they were doing. Or you just affirm your love for him? You affirm your care for them. Or you just plead the blood of Jesus. And you bind the devil. And you bind his deceptions and his strongholds. Because like Peter said... There's manifold temptations that come against people and it can be very heavy. And I want to say to you, beloved, that tonight, if you're if you're in a season of heaviness as a Christian, don't hang your head in shame. Because every one of us has been there and every one of us, if Jesus tarries, will be there again because we're fighting an enemy. And his warfare is real and it's heavy and it's hard, and it's for keeps, and he is doing everything he can to weaken your faith, cause you to doubt God, and trying to give you reasons to not go on, and that is very real, and it's beautiful to have the body of Christ just gathered around your life to be able to pray for you, to pray for that, so you can memorize 1 Peter 1, 7, and God, let their life and their faith be strong and honor you and glorify you until the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and to me, this just makes church exciting because it's all of us. This is this is not the theater right here, this pulpit and this, this choir. This is not the theater. Praise God. The whole place is. The whole place. And you guys, you're so important and you're so valuable to everything God wants to do. And I just pray that you let him do it. Would you stand with me? Um, the Holy Spirit, I believe, impressed this on me tonight. And I just I want, I want to come back to this in First Peter. And I, I wanted to address this. And I, and I feel like the Holy Spirit has been just hitting this all night with us, even in the worship. So listen to me carefully. If there's people here tonight and you are in a season of heaviness manifold temptation that is nothing to be ashamed of now peter said if need be and so sometimes we enter into temptations and we don't need to be we just put ourselves where we didn't need to be we got ourselves into business we didn't need to be involved in we got in the middle of a quarrel we didn't get into didn't need to get into the middle of it And I thank God there's grace for us there too. Because I oftentimes am in heaviness of manifold temptations. And I didn't need to be. But I just did. And I shouldn't have. And I I have found that God in his grace still reaches me in that place. So regardless of where you are, it could be maybe there was an act of rebellion Maybe there was a foolish decision. Maybe you made a decision you didn't really even pray about it, and now you're in this place, and it's just really a challenge for your life. Or maybe you're just like I'm walking with God and I'm I'm trying to serve the Lord, but man, this is the this is such a difficult place, and it's hard to bear. It's just hard to bear. So no shame, but would you let the body of Christ love you? Can we wrestle for you tonight? Can we push back? these powers of darkness that would try to oppress you can we just pray for your faith and your strength to if that's you